Section 8 of The Book of a Thousand Nights and a Night, Volume 6. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Book of a Thousand Nights and a Night, Volume 6 by Anonymous. Translated by Richard Francis Burton. Section 8. When it was the five hundred and fifty-eighth night, she said it hath reached me, auspicious king, that Sinban the seaman continued. So I threw the devil off my shoulders, hardly crediting my deliverance from him, and fearing lest he should shake off his drunkenness and do me a mischief. Then I took up a great stone from among the trees, and coming up to him, smote him therewith on the head, with all my might, and crushed in his skull as he lay dead drunk. Thereupon his flesh, and fat and blood, being in a pulp, he died and went to his deserts. The fire, no mercy of Allah, be upon him. I then returned, with the heart at ease, to my former station on the seashore, and abode in that island many days, eating of its fruits and drinking of its waters, and keeping a lookout for passing ships. Till one day, as I sat on the beach, recalling all that had befallen me, and saying, I wonder if Allah will save me alive and restore me to my home and family and friends. Behold, a ship was making for the island, through the dashing sea and clashing waves. Presently it cast anchor, and the passengers landed. So I made for them, and when they saw me, all hastened up to me and gathered around me, questioned me of my case and how I came thither. I told them all that had betided me, whereat they marvelled with exceeding marvel and said, he who rode on thy shoulders is called the Sheikh al-Bayar, or Old Man of the Sea. Footnote. More literally, the Chief of the Sea. Sheikh being here a chief rather than an elder, so the Old Man of the Mountain, famous in crusading days, was the chief who lived on the Nusariya or Ansari range, a northern prolongation of the Libanus. Our Old Man of the text may have been suggested by the Quranic commentators on chapter 6. When an infidel rises from the grave, a hideous figure meets him and says, Why wonderest thou at my loathsomeness? I am thine evil deeds. Thou didst ride upon me in the world, and now I will ride upon thee. End of footnote. And none ever felt his legs on neck, and came off alive but thou. And those who die under him, he eateth. So praise be to Allah for thy safety. Then they set somewhat of food before me, whereof I ate my fill, and gave me somewhat of clothes wherewith I clad myself anew, and covered my nakedness. After which they took me up to the ship, and we sailed for days and nights, till fate brought us to a place called City of the Apes, builded with lofty houses, all of which gave upon the sea and it had a single gate studded and strengthened with iron nails. Now every night, as soon as it is dusk, the dwellers in this city used to come forth of the gates, and putting out to sea in boats and ships, pass the night upon the waters, in their fear lest apes should come down on them from the mountains. Hearing this, I was sore troubled remembering what I had before suffered from the ape kind. Presently I landed to solace myself in the city, but meanwhile the ship set sail without me, and I repented of having gone ashore, and calling to mind my companions, 
and what had befallen me with the apes, first and after, sat down and fell a-weeping and lamenting. Presently one of the townsfolk accosted me and said to me, O my lord, meseeth thou art a stranger in these parts. Yes, answered I, I am indeed a stranger and a poor one, who came hither in a ship which cast anchor here, and I landed to visit the town. But when I could have gone on board again, I found they had sailed without me. Quoth he, Come and embark with us, for if thou lie the night in the city, the apes will destroy thee. Hearkening and obedience, replied I, and rising, straight away embarked with him in one of the boats, whereupon they pushed off from the shore, and anchoring a mile or so from the land, there passed the night. At daybreak they rode back to the city and landing, went each about his business. Thus they did every night, for if any tarried in the town by night, the apes came down on him and slew him. As soon as it was day, the apes left the place and ate of the fruits of the gardens, then went back to the mountains and slept there till nightfall, when they again came down upon the city. Footnote in parts of West Africa, and especially in Gorilla Land, there are many stories of women and children being carried off by apes, and all believe that the former bear issue to them. It is certain that the anthropoid ape is lustfully excited by the presence of women, and I have related how at Cairo, 1856, a huge cynocephalus would have raped a girl had it not been bayoneted. Young ladies who visit the Demidov Gardens and Menagerie at Florence were often scandalised by the vicious exposure of the baboons, party-coloured persons. The female monkey equally solicits the attention of man, and I heard in India, from my late friend Mirza Ali Akbar of Bombay, that to his knowledge connection had taken place. Whether there would be issue and whether such issue would be viable are still disputed points. The produce would add another difficulty to the pseudoscience called psychology. As such mule would have only half a soul, and issued by a congener would have a quarter soul. A traveller well known to me once proposed to breed pithecoid men, who might be useful as hewers of wood and drawers of water. His idea was to put the highest races of ape to the lowest of humanity. I never heard what became of his breeding stables. End of footnote. Now this place is farthest of the country of the blacks, and one of the strangest things that befell me during my sojourn in the city was on this wise. One of the company, with whom I passed the night in the boat, asked me, O oh my lord, thou art apparently a stranger in these parts. Hast thou any craft whereat thou canst work? And I answered, By Allah! O my brother, I have no trade, nor know I any handicraft. For I was a merchant and a man of money and substance, and had a ship of my own, laden with great store of goods and merchandise. But it foundered at sea, and all were drowned except me, who saved myself on a piece of plank, which Allah vouchsafed to me of his favour. Upon this he bought me a cotton bag, and giving it to me, said, Take this bag and fill it with pebbles from the beach, and go forth with a company of the townsfolk, to whom I will give a charge respecting thee. Do as they do, and be like thou shalt gain what may further thy return voyage to thy native land.
Then he carried me to the beach, where I filled my bag with pebbles, large and small, and presently we saw a company of folk issue from the town, each bearing a bag like mine, filled with pebbles. To these he committed me, commending me to their care and saying, This man is a stranger, so take him with you and teach him how to gather, that he may get his daily bread, and you will earn your reward and recompense in heaven. On our heads and eyes be it, answered they, and bidding me welcome, fed on with me till we came to a spacious wadi, full of lofty trees with trunks so smooth that none might climb them. Now sleeping under these trees were many apes, which, when they saw us, rose and fled from us, and swarmed up among the branches, whereupon my companions began to pelt them with what they had in their bags, and the apes fell to plucking of the fruit of the trees and casting them at the folk. I looked at the fruits they cast at us and found them to be Indian. Footnote Arab, Jahuz al-Hindi Our word cocoa is from the port. Cocoa meaning a bug, bugbear, in allusion to its caricature of the human face, hair, eyes and mouth. I may here note that a cocoa tree is easily climbed with a bit of rope or a handkerchief. End of footnote. Or cocoa nuts. So I chose out a great tree, full of apes, and going up to it, began to pelt them with stones, and they in return pelted me with nuts, which I collected as did the rest, so that even before I had made an end of my bag full of pebbles, I had gotten great plenty of nuts, and as soon as my companions had in like manner gotten as many nuts as they could carry, we returned to the city, where we arrived at the fag end of the day. Then I went in to the kindly man, who had brought me in company with the nut-gatherers, and gave him all I had gotten, thanking him for his kindness. But he would not accept them, saying, Sell them and make profit by the price. And presently he added, Giving me the key of a closet in his house, Store thy nuts in this safe place, and go thou forth every morning, and gather them as thou hast done to-day, and choose out the worst for sale, and supplying thyself, but lay up the rest here, so haply thou mayst collect enough to serve thee for thy return home. Allah requite thee, answered I, and did as he advised me, going out daily with the cocoa nut gatherers, who commended me to one another, and showed me the best stocked trees. Footnote. Tomb pictures in Egypt show tame monkeys gathering fruits, and Grossier, description of China quoted by Hole and Lane, mentions a similar mode of harvesting tea by irritating the monkeys of the Middle Kingdom. End of footnote. Thus did I, for some time, till I had laid up great store of excellent nuts, besides a large sum of money, the price of those I had sold. I became thus at my ease, and bought all I saw, and had a mind too, and passed my time pleasantly, greatly enjoying my stay in the city, till... As I stood on the beach one day, a great ship, steering through the heart of the sea, presently cast anchor by the shore, and landed a company of merchants, who proceeded to sell and buy and barter their goods for cocoa nuts and other commodities. Then I went to my friends and told them of the coming of the ship, and how I had a mind to return to my own country. And he said, "'Tis for thee to decide.' So I thanked him for his bounties, and took leave of them. Then, going to the captain of the ship, 
I agreed with him for my passage, and embarked my cocoa nuts, and what else I had possessed. We weighed anchor, and Shahrazad perceived the dawn of the day, and ceased saying her permitted say. When it was the five hundred and fifty-ninth night, she said it hath reached me, O auspicious king, that Sinbad the seaman continued. So I left the city of the apes, and embarked my cocoa nuts, and what else I possessed. We weighed anchor the same day, and sailed from island to island, and sea to sea. And whenever we stopped, I sold and traded with my cocoa nuts, and the Lord requited me more than I erst had and lost. Amongst other places, we came to an island abounding in cloves. Footnote. Cloves and cinnamon in those days grew in widely distant places. End of footnote and cinnamon and pepper, and the country people told me that by the side of each pepper bunch groweth a great leaf, which shadeth it from the sun, and casteth the water off it in the wet season. But when the rain ceaseth, the leaf turneth over and droopeth down by the side of the bunch. Footnote. In pepper plantations it is usual to set bananas for shading the young shrubs, which bear bunches like ivy fruit, not pods. End of footnote. Here I took great store of pepper and cloves and cinnamon, in exchange for cocoa nuts, and we passed thence to the island of Al-Usirat. Footnote. The Brussel edit has Al-Maharat. Langles calls it the island of Al-Kamari. See Lane, section 386. End of footnote. Whence cometh the cormorin, wood, and thence to another island, five days' journey in length. Where grows the Chinese lean aloes, which is better than the cormoran, but the people of this island. Footnote. Insula pro peninsula. Cormoran is a corruption of Kanya, Virgo the goddess Durga, and Kumari, a maid, a princess, from a temple of Shiva's wife, hence Ptolemies, and near it to the northeast, Promontorium, Kori quad Coromini. Caput insula for Kant, says Maphis. In the text, Alud refers to the eaglewood, so-called because spotted like the bird's plume. That of Champa, Kokin, China, mentioned in Camoans, is still famous. End of footnote. Are fouler of condition and religion than those of the other, for that they love fornication and wine-bibbing, and know not prayer nor call to prayer, Thence we came to the pearl fisheries, and I gave the divers some of my cocoa nuts, and said to them, Dive for my luck and lot. They did so, and brought up from the deep, blight. Footnote. Arabic, bikrat, is tank, pool, reach, blight. Hence, bik burkat, faarun, in the Suez Gulf. End of footnote. Great store of large and priceless pearls, and they said to me, by Allah, O my master, thy luck is a lucky. Then we sailed on with the blessing of Allah, whose name be exalted, and ceased not sailing till we arrived safely at Pusara. There I abode a little, and then went on to Baghdad, where I entered my quarter and found my house, and foregathered with my family, and saluted my friends, who gave me joy of my safe return. And I laid up all my goods and valuables in my storehouses. Then I distributed arms and largesse, and clothed the widow and orphan, and made presents to my relations and comrades. 
but the Lord hath requited me fourfold that I had lost. After which I returned to my old merry way of life, and forgot all I had suffered in the great profit and gain I had made. Such, then, is the history of my fifth voyage, and its wonderments. And now to supper, and to-morrow, come again I will tell you what befell me in my sixth voyage. For it was still more wonderful than this, saith he who telleth the tale. Then he called for food, and the servants spread the table, and when they had eaten the evening meal, he bade gave Simbad the porter an hundred golden dinars, and the landsman returned home and laid him down to sleep, much marvelling at all he had heard. Next morning, as soon as it was light, he prayed the dawn prayer, and, after blessing Muhammad the cream of all creatures, betook himself to the house of Sinbad the seaman, and wished him a good day. The merchant bade him, sat and talked with him, till the rest of the company arrived. Then the servants spread the table, and when they had well eaten and drunken, and were mirthful and merry, Sinbad the seaman began, in his words, the narrative of The Sixth Voyage of Sinbad the Seaman Know, O my brothers and friends and companions all, that I abode some time, after my return from my fifth voyage, in great solace and satisfaction and mirth, and merriment, joyance and enjoyment. And I forgot what I had suffered, seeing the great gain and profit I had made till, one day, as I sat making merry and enjoying myself with my friends, there came in to me a company of merchants, whose case told tales of travel, and talked with me of voyage and adventure and greatness of pelf and lucre. Thereupon I remember the days of my return from abroad, and my joy at once more seeing my native land and foregathering with my family and friends, and my soul yearned for travel and traffic. So, compelled by fate and fortune, I resolved to undertake another voyage, and, buying me fine and costly merchandise meant for foreign trade, made it up into bales, with which I journeyed from Baghdad to Bassorah. Here I found a great ship ready for sea, and full of merchants and notables, who had with them goods of price. So I embarked my bales therein, and we left Bassorah in safety and good spirits, under the safeguard of the king, the preserver. And Shahrazad perceived the dawn of the day, and ceased to say her permitted say. When it was the five hundred and sixtieth night, she said it hath reached me, O auspicious king, that Sinbad the seaman continued. And after embarking my bales and leaving Bassarah in safety and good spirits, we continued our voyage from place to place and from city to city, buying and selling and profiting, and diverting ourselves with the sight of countries where strange folk dwell. And fortune and this voyage smiled upon us, till one day, as we went along, behold, the captain suddenly cried with a great cry, and cast his turban on the deck. Then he buffeted his face like a woman, and plucked out his beard, and fell down in the waist of the ship, with nigh fainting for stress of grief and rage, and crying, Oh, alas, for the ruin of my house, and the orphanship of my poor children! So all the merchant and sailors came round about him, and asked him, O oh, master, what is the matter? 
for the light had become night before their sight, and he answered, saying, Know, O folk, that we have wandered from our course, and left the sea whose ways we know, and come into a sea whose ways I know not. And unless Allah vouchsafe us a means of escape, we are all dead men. Wherefore pray ye to the Most High, and he deliver us from this strait. Happily amongst you is one righteous, whose prayers the Lord will accept. Then he arose and clomb the mast, to see whether there was any escape from that strait, and he would have loosened the sails. But the wind redoubled upon the ship, and the whirled her around thrice, and drave her backwards, whereupon the rudder brake, and she fell off toward the, a high mountain. With this the captain came down from the mast, saying, There is no majesty, and there is no might save in Allah, the glorious, the great, nor can man prevent that which is foreordained by fate. By Allah we are fallen on a place of sure destruction, and there is no way of escape for us, nor can any of us be saved. Then we all fell a-weeping over ourselves, and bidding one another farewell, for that our days were to come to an end, and we had lost all hope of life. Presently the ship struck the mountain and broke up, and all and everything on board of her were plunged into the sea. Some of the merchants were drowned, and others made shift to reach the shore and save themselves upon the mountain. I amongst the number, and when we got ashore, we found a great island, or rather peninsula. Footnote. Probably Cape Cormoran, to judge from the river, but the text names Sarandib, Ceylon Island, famous for gems. This was noticed by Marco Polo, section 3, cap 19, and ancient authors relate the same of Tabrabane, end of footnote, whose base was strewn with wreckage of crafts and goods and gear cast up by the sea from the broken ships whose passengers had been drowned, and the quantity confounded Cobbt and calculation. So I climbed the cliffs into the inward of the isle and walked on inland, until I came into a stream of sweet water that welled up at the nearest foot of the mountains and disappeared in the earth under the range of the hills on the opposite side. But all the other passengers went over the mountains to the inner tracks and, dispersing hither and thither, were confounded at what they saw and became like madmen at the sight of the wealth and treasures wherewith the shores were strewn. As for me, I looked into the bed of the stream, aforesaid, and saw therein great plenty of rubies and great royal pearls. Footnote. I need hardly trouble the reader with a note on pearl fisheries. The descriptions of travellers are continuous from the days of Pliny, Solanus, and Marco Polo. Maximilian of Transylvania, in his narrative of Magellan's voyage, says that Celebes produced pearls big as turtles' doves' eggs, and the king of Pornay, Borneo, had two unions as great as goose's eggs. Pigafetta reduces this to hen's eggs, and Sir Thomas Herbert to dove's eggs. End of footnote. And all kinds of jewels and precious stones, which were as gravel to the bed of the rivulets that ran through the fields, and the sand sparkled and glittered with gems and precious ores. Moreover, we found in the island abundance of the finest lean aloes, both Chinese and Cormoran, and there also was a spring of crude 
ambergris, footnote, Arabic, ambar, pronounced ambar, wherein I would derive ambrosia. Ambergris was long supposed to be a fossil, a vegetable which grew upon the sea bottom or rose in springs, or a substance produced in the water like naphtha or bitumen. Now it is known to be the gesture of a whale. It is found in lumps weighing several pounds upon the Zanzibar coast, and is sold at a high price, being held a potent aphrodisiac. A small hollow is drilled in the bottom of the cup, and the coffee is poured upon the bit of ambergris it contains. When the oleaginous matter shows in dots amidst the kema coffee cream, the bubbly froth which floats upon the surface and which an expert coffee servant distributes equally among the guests. Argensola mentions in Ceylon springs of liquid bitumen thicker than our oil, and some of pure balsam. End of footnote. Which floweth like wax or gum over the stream banks, for the great heat of the sun, and runneth down to the sea shore, where the monsters of the deep come up and swallowing it, return into the sea. But it burneth in their bellies, so they cast it up again, and it congealeth on the surface of the water, whereby its colour and quantities are changed. And at last the waves cast it ashore, and the travellers and merchants who know it collect it and sell it. But as to the raw ambergris, which is not swallowed, it floweth over the channel and congealeth on the banks, and when the sun shineth on it, it melteth, and scenteth the whole valley in with a musk-like fragrance. Then, when the sun ceaseth from it, it congealeth again. But none can get to this place, where is the crude ambergris, because of the mountains, which enclose the island on all sides, and which foot of a man cannot ascend. Footnote. The tale-teller forgets that Sinbad and his companions have just ascended it, but this in consequence is a characteristic of the Eastern Saga. I may note that the description of the ambergris in the text tells us admirably well what it is not. End of footnote. We continued thus to explore the island, marvelling at the wonderful works of Allah and the riches we found there, but sore troubled for our own case and dismayed at our prospects. Now we had picked up on the beach some small matter of victual from the wreck and husbanded it carefully, eating but once every day or two. In our fear lest it should fail us and we die miserably of famine or affright. Moreover, we were weak for colic brought on by the seasickness and the low diet, and my companions deceased one after the other, till there was but a small company of us left. Each that died we washed and shrouded in some of the clothes and linen cast ashore by the tides. And after little the rest of my fellows perished, one by one, till I had buried the last of the party, and abode alone on the island, with but a little provision left, I who was wont to have so much. And I wept over myself, saying, Would heaven I had died before my companions, and they had washed me and buried me. It had been better than I should perish, and none wash me, and shroud me, and bury me. But there is majesty, and there is no might save in Allah, the glorious, the great. And Shahrazad perceived the dawn of the day, and ceased saying her permitted say. End of section 8